boy, I always admire Zach when when uh, he speaks every Sunday without any notes, and the Lord speaks through him in mighty ways. Uh, leading to this, I had to change my delivery so often that finally I had to write it down. So, uh, my name is Cyrus Mafia. I have my beautiful wife, Maria, and my amazing daughter, Liliana, and my brother here, and we have another one, Ariana, and Aria Michael, who is in children's ministry. So, thank you, Lord. Rick Warren once said, the Bible is God's stories of calling. He called Noah, Jonah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, and David, and yes, Peter, Paul, and Mary, too. What a privilege it is when, when we can share testimonies where God is the hero. As fascinated as we are with God's stories in the Bible books and movies, don't they mostly change, uh, turn the same way? God creates man. Man goes off, in, off on his own. Man fails. God saves the man. And in the process, his kingdom is glorified. The Bible is full of stories like that. Life is full of stories like that. Mine's, my story, hopefully, is one of those. I guess what makes it exciting is when we realize that it could be us, you and I, who may be playing a role in God's story, much like the characters in the Bible and the heroes in, in, in the movies. Most of you are familiar, as Pastor Zach mentioned, my involvement with Impact the Life Foundation and, and the ministry that I'm involved with in, in Sierra Leone, West Africa. But what I'm more excited to share with you today is when God uses our past experiences and present struggles only to write a story that without him in it would not make much sense, at least when, when we are in the thick of it, right? I've not been a believer all my life, actually for almost 90% of my life I was not a believer. In fact, growing up um, and facing the realities of natural life steered me away from God. Born in Tehran in, in a liberal Muslim family, I got to experience a very colorful upbringing. I was very ambitious, as, as my mom used to call me, I was a Kermaki. <laughs> Sean knows what I'm talking about. A more polite translation would be, I was restless, and leave it at that. I wanted to make a mark on, on the wall. I wanted to somehow be remembered. I believed in dreams. Dreams that, to me, were only good if I could drag down to reality and touch it and live it and and be proud of. But then in 1979, the revolution in Iran happened. And dreams started to shatter, one after the other. I witnessed my friends, family members, my neighbors being jailed, tortured, and killed in the name of God and by the Revolutionary Guards. I was the beneficiary of some of that myself. At the age of 17, all I could ask was, why? Why, God? 
I guess that was when I learned how fragile dreams could be. A year later, the war between Iran and Iraq broke, and I was drafted. Quickly surviving the day as a soldier at any cost, at any cost, did not leave much room for a dreamer. I learned how close and real death could be. While in the front line, I, I received the news that my mother was dying of cancer at the age 42. She died, never got to say goodbye. My grandmother followed suit and passed shortly after, and not much longer after that. My father decided to leave us and follow his own dreams. I learned how cruel life could be. By the time I was serving, the political air in the country had forced my family to leave Iran and move to Norway. I was 21 by then, in a foreign land, population less than the state of New York, and a language to go with it. I see some smile there, right? But Norway is a beautiful country, and for us, was a second home. The people there, they have the heart of mighty Vikings, they do. And I still call them our home. I was 21 by then in a foreign land. Well, we already said that. <laughs> uh, when we went to Norway, I was still dealing with my own PTSD. At the time, I didn't know what it was. And by default, in charge of a family of four. It was time to pull up my sleeves, time to man up, and stop believing that God is good, merciful, or even there at all. That was when I guess I learned how lonely life could be. Norway was a new beginning for us. Going to school full-time and working three jobs, I, I got my master's in, in aeronautics and, and helped my brothers and sister finish college. As time passed by and, and our family were settling in their, in their own nest in Norway, the dream started to bloom again with a different view this time. I had stopped believing in a fairy tale of God. I was a survivor. I overcame. I was fearless, and God had nothing to do with it. Or so I thought. I came to the U.S. in 1991. No longer angry at God, nor life, or my dad. The past was buried in a box of forgetfulness. As said by Rumi, a Persian philosopher, one of the biggest gifts in life is the ability to forget. And I chose to forget many things. Married to my amazing wife, Maria, in 1997. Blessed with two smart and beautiful daughters who make us proud every day. Started our business and, and opened a wine bar in, in Seattle. Life was good. In 2007, it was time to give back. And with my wife's encouragement and support, we started a foundation called Impact the Life Foundation. 
to help the less privileged in India and orphanages in Nepal. And it was based on local leadership and community participation, had nothing to do with God, promoting self-empowerment and independence. Why wait for God when you can step in and be the man? As stupid as it sounds, guys, that was me 10 years ago. Then the recession hit. Many of you as business owners remember those times. Business started to decline and debt started to pile up and I had to downsize, close the restaurant and painfully almost forced to close one of the orphanages in Nepal too. A year later, in an attempt to escape maybe, uh, take a break, regather my strength or maybe just Maria pushing me, insisting, I joined an intercession trip with my then ninth grade daughter, Ariana, Seattle Christian School, a seven-day hike to Catalina Island in California, led by Seattle Christian School Bible teacher, Mr. Dan Edmondson. As you remember, Pastor Dan was one of the pastors who joined Mission Church later on as associate pastor. That trip was designed for students to experience the presence of God. No cell phones and no electronics allowed. It was there when I met a young and energetic pastor who who had recently started his ministry in Renton and had just returned from a missionary trip to Sierra Leone, Africa. My amazing brother and friend, Pastor Zach, I met him then. He was so young, I actually thought he was one of the students at first. (laughs) Seriously. (laughs) I thought, man, he's so confident for a high schooler. (laughs) I had to say it. (laughs) It was in that trip, really. I realized that as a teenager, regardless of where you are born, what era, race, gender, or nationality, We all share the same dream and ambitions. My challenge, however, was how would a non-believer like me interact with a pastor, Bible teacher, and a bunch of Christian teenagers in search for answers? Well, God answered that. Long story short, after seven days hiking trip, everybody, including the students, were convinced that that trip was not about me at all, about them at all. For days on, Pastor Zach and Mr. Ed patiently listened to the story of a man trying to shape a life in his own strength. And later on, I found out they quietly prayed for him every night. At the end of that trip, I, I too was convinced that that trip was not an ordinary one. God had us exactly where he wanted us. A shattered soul of a man a young and ambitious pastor and and a Bible teacher with an unfinished dream to open a Christian school free for all. Friends, the last day of that trip, in the middle of the street of Long Beach, California, I can relieve it in my head every time, Pastor Zach, through my brother and friend and pastor, the Lord claimed, claimed my life for the rest of my days. And I became his for the rest of my life.
I learned how merciful God could be. <clears throat> the question remained, though, why me? I didn't realize at the time that I was Saul. And God is in the business of making Paul out of us. We did not know why God brought us together at the time. But a year later, I got to visit Sierra Leone with Pastor Dan. And in the summer of 2006, with God's grace, a holistic ministry took shape in a small village named Mankne in the middle of nowhere through Impact the Life Foundation, a ministry based on local leadership and community participation, but this time led by God, not man. Fast forward, three years later, today, 150 hernia repair surgeries later, two schools and 200 students later, 200 acres of rice field later, two churches and 400 baptisms later, God is good. I'm thrilled that now today, many of us, get to share our testimonies and proclaim the message of hope and the salvation of Jesus in a place devastated in genocide, disease, corruption, and poverty. A place where every day, in the midst of daily struggles, in the thick of life's hardship, God is inking a unique story with now their name on it. And as my brother... <clears throat> Britain is going to allude to in his message, that is the story of souls lost and found. Our story, my story. A place where every day, guys, I keep going back to the previous paragraph. Uh, thank you. Thank you, Mission Church. Thank you for being part of my story and God's story all these years. Because of you and your generosity today, a new church has been built in a village named Mamaso. A water well has been dug, and a bridge has been fixed, and a new community is busy playing their own part in a never-ending God story. Thank you, Lord. Yes. Rick Warren maybe said, the Bible is God's stories of calling. But friend... If drunkards, adulterers, and murderers can make the cut in the Bible, if the Bible was written today, the story of somebody sitting in these very chairs could have made the cut. As Paul said in Ephesians 4.4, there is one body and one spirit. Just as you were called to the one hope, that belongs to your call. Thank you for allowing me to share mine. That's my story. Uh, thank you, Brother Cyrus. I think we can go home now. The preaching's done. So we'll just... Um, I've had the privilege of working with Mr. Moffey for a little under three years at Impact of Life Foundation. And if you haven't had a chance to get to know this man, you're truly missing out. He's, he's a man who, 
he takes the biblical command to love God and love people, and he does this in the most practical and sincere way that you can imagine. Uh, This morning, we're going to talk about praise in the psalm as we continue our series through the psalms. And um, it's both appropriate and slightly strategic that Cyrus would speak this morning because his testimony really is a demonstration of worship. What he's done is he's taken this great love of Jesus and he's extended it beyond himself into his community, into his work, into the nations. And that's what worship is. Worship is an outward expression of an inward love of our Savior. And so this morning, to look at psalms and um, praise, we're going to go through an entire chapter of the psalms. And so I hope you got some coffee, because this might take a bit. But Psalm 117, we're going to read through it now. Praise the Lord, all nations. Laud him, all peoples. For his loving kindness is great towards us, and the truth of the Lord is everlasting. Praise the Lord. That's it. We're done. We made it through. You guys all right? And some of you are just getting your phones out. You're like, good, time for Facebook. I can look at cats and food. But it's done. So we're, we're through it. This is a, a truly a short chapter. In fact, this is the shortest chapter in the Psalms. It's actually the shortest chapter in the entire Bible. And another interesting note, if you were to lay out all of the chapters of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, and were to go from the back and, and from the beginning and land right in the middle, you'd land right on Psalm 117. That was the most complicated way to say that that's in the exact middle of the Bible. Um, so when Zach asked if I would uh, preach during the series, and, and I appreciate the opportunity because he knows I love getting up here, but um, when he asked me to preach, I went home and I read through the Psalms that week, and this chapter really stood out to me in a way that it hadn't in the past. And so I excitedly wrote him, I was like, Zach, I think I found the message I'm going to speak on at Psalm 117, and he immediately writes back, you would choose the shortest chapter in the Bible to preach on. Um, But there's a reason why this is the shortest chapter in the Bible. There's a reason why it's in the exact middle of the Bible. It's to draw our attention to it. It's to put an exclamation point on it. And there's a reason why God drew us to it. He has something to say through it. So let me just give you a little bit of an outline of this passage. First, we see a call to praise. Let me pull it up for you here. First, we see a call to praise. Then we see reasons for praise. And lastly, we see a personal cry of praise. And Gary Kidner, he said this, The shortest psalm proves, in fact, to be one of the most potent and one of the most seminal. It is great in faith, and its reach is enormous. Now, Psalm 117, this is considered a halal psalm. This is the psalms of praise, and that's Psalm 113 through 118. And this is the, one of the psalms that was traditionally sung at the feasts of the Old Testament. So the, the Feast of Pentecost, the, the Feast of the Tabernacle um, at Passover, and it's no doubt one of the, the psalms that was sung uh, when, with Jesus and his disciples. And so when I read that, I imagined Jesus sitting at the last Passover before he's betrayed and singing these words, great, for his loving kindness is great towards us, right before he performs the greatest act of loving kindness the world would ever see. So before we, we jump into this psalm further, I'm going to jump forward to Revelation for just for a moment. Because one of the ways we know how to live this life that God has given us, how to pray, how to worship, how to mobilize as a church, is to look at where history is headed. And Revelation 7 gives us a glimpse of this. It reveals God's heart and his purpose for all people. So John has this vision 
And he writes this in Revelation 7. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell down on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. This is the future, my friends. The nations gathering together to worship Jesus. And we got a little bit of a glimpse of this last week. I don't know if you were able to come to worship in the park where 10 churches came together and uh, worshiped together. And it was interesting to see just the difference in worship styles and preaching styles as different pastors came up from these different churches uh, and, and they spoke just with a, with a different style. And you could see it in the different people who were there. You had this group of kind of older people. They were way in the back in the shade. And then there was this obnoxious church in the front called the Mission and they're raising their hands and worshiping all loud. But it was just neat to see these different people coming together to worship Jesus. Psalm 117, verse 1, this is an invitation for the nations to be a part of this. It's a call to praise, and it reaches beyond our Sunday morning service and the people who are here, into our neighborhoods, into our work. It's a call into the different social economic statuses of Renton and Seattle, into Sierra Leone and the nations beyond. The word praise in Hebrew, this means to shine, to make clear, to make bright. And it continues, laud him all people. To laud means to commend, speak highly of to speak well of him, loudly adore him. This is a call to praise, all nations, all people. And being a call to praise, being a global invitation, it's incumbent on every living person to praise God. And here's why it matters for us to understand worship and praise in this context. Because we, the church, both here and across the world, we're to be a visual aid for God's purposes in the world. The way we live must reflect that which Scripture says. But we can only do this if we understand what God's purposes are. The New Testament is the story of God gathering the nations and people into one giant international community for his glory. And we see this in Revelation. And this call being a global call, it has some implications for us. And this one seems a little obvious, but let me explain. The first implication is the exclusivity of the gospel of Christ. And by this I mean that Jesus is the only way of salvation. This is an invitation of every person on the planet to worship God. And we know through the fuller truth of the Bible, and especially in the New Testament, that the only way to truly worship God is through his son, Jesus Christ. And honestly, as I looked into this a little bit, I was kind of hesitant to even put it in here. Because while we know this is true, this is becoming an increasingly unpopular thing to talk about. Because in our culture in this time... It's politically correct to put our arms around all idols, all subjective thoughts, all ideas, all opinions. Just last week, I was having lunch with a really close friend of mine, and he told me that his theology is changing, that he no longer believes that Jesus is the only way of salvation, that he's a way of salvation. And as long as you have good intentions, we're all going to get to the same place. And I can't pretend to understand the fullness of God's grace, and I think about this actually when I'm in Sierra Leone and we're, we're driving through the vastness of poverty, both physically and spiritually. You know, I think God is full of grace. But it's in these times that we as a church, we have to be dogmatic about this. We praise the Lion of Judah, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. 
Jesus said this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And if this is true, that we're all called to praise this one true God, then it leads to a second implication. And that's the necessity of evangelism and mission around the world. If all the nations are invited, even summoned by God, to come and worship him, and if they do not know his name and they do not know his son, then they're unable to worship God in spirit and in truth. And that's what it tells us to do in John 14, 24. So it becomes incumbent on us, so important for us, the local church, to be preparing, to be sending, to be going into the nations. And this is really why Cyrus pours out his heart into impact a life. Because the world cannot know God that they do not know. They can't worship him calling him Buddha or Muhammad. They need the truth of the gospel. And this is Christianity at its most fundamental point. Verse 1 of, of Psalm 117. This is a great commission verse tucked into the Old Testament. Romans 10, 14 says this. How can they call upon him whom they do not believe? And this is a rhetorical question. They, they can't call upon him if they do not know his name. And how will they hear without us rising and standing and going? A few verses later, Paul says in Romans, verse 17, faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. The clear implication is this. The one who does not hear the word of Christ dies without Christ. And that should make us feel something. That's a a somber statement. We're called to worship. Praise the Lord, all nations. Laud him, all people. For his loving kindness is great towards us. I'm going to share the main reason why Impact of Life is involved in mission, why the Mission Church has partnered with Impact of Life, and really why the Mission Church exists at all. And that's so there will be more people taking their stand in the hallelujah praise of God. And I'll explain this further. Warren Wearsby, that's probably mispronouncing his name, but he writes a book called Real Worship, and he states this profound statement. The goal of salvation is not to get man out of hell and into heaven, but to get praise out of man and into heaven. Did you hear that? That's, that's a profound statement. I'm going to read it again. The highest goal of salvation is not to get man out of hell and into heaven, but to get praise out of man and into heaven. And John Piper helps us along with this. He, he writes this in Let the Nations Be Glad. Mission is not the ultimate goal of the church. Mission exists because worship does not. Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. Worship, therefore, is the fuel and goal of missions. It is the goal of mission because in mission we simply aim to bring the nations into the white-hot enjoyment of God's glory. The goal of missions is the gladness of people and the greatness of God. But worship is also the fuel for missions. Missions begins and ends in worship. We want people to be saved from eternal hell. But there's a higher motive than that. We are jealous for a God. We want the nations to know him. We want the true God to be worshipped. And therefore, we must take the gospel to the four corners of the earth. At our board meetings in ILF, we talk about this nearly every, every meeting, that we want what we do to be for the glory of God, not just the need of man. And the other night, I just sat down and, and just made a bullet point list of some of the ways that we're addressing the need in Africa. And the reason for each of these is the glory of God. We want people to see the glory of God. Praise the nations. Praise the Lord, all nations. Laud him, all people. For his loving kindness is great towards us, and the truth of the Lord is everlasting. You know, some of these things on this list... 
you know, the, the churches, the Bible classes, even the sports camps, they're designed to tell people about Jesus. But really all of these, the goal of them is to glorify God. And I have an example. This is, this is how, and I'm going to talk over it due to time, but this is how people are starting their day in Sierra Leone. When they start one of these projects or involved in one of these um, classes, this is, this is what it looks like. These are people praising the name of Jesus because he's demonstrating his loving kindness through these programs. And that's the next part of this verse, or these verses, his loving kindness. For great is his loving kindness towards us, and the truth of the Lord is everlasting. Loving kindness. This is a Hebrew word, hased. It's used over 250 times in the Old Testament. It's the Old Testament equivalent of agape in the New Testament, and it connotes God's love for an unfaithful people worldwide. And this is an unconditional love. It means that it's not based on anything intrinsically lovable about the person that's receiving the love. And it has a sense of something that prevails. And I I found this so interesting. Um, For great is his loving kindness. The word great is used in the Old Testament. And I want to share just two instances that it is because it it relates to this loving kindness of God. The first is in Exodus, Exodus 17. We find Moses and he's leading the people out of uh, Egypt, the Israel people. And he comes up against this great army. And um, let me skip past that. And the leader of that army is Mamalek. And so he brings Jacob. He's like, all right, Jacob, you go fight these people with your army. And I'm going to go up on this hill with my rod of God. Okay? Which sounds like a bummer deal for Jacob. But it says this. So it came about when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let his hand down, Mamalek prevailed. The word prevailed is the same Hebrew word for great in Psalm 117.2. Therefore, God's love is a prevailing love. It is a conquering love, a triumphant love, a victorious love. And we see the same thing in Genesis with the flood. It says in Genesis 7:18, the waters of the flood prevailed and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the surface of the earth. Same thing. The word prevailed is the same as great in Psalm 17, verse 2. It speaks of an overwhelming flood, of being engulfed. And that is what God's love is for his people. It's a prevailing love. It's a conquering love. It's an all-encompassing, all-triumphant love. And the implication for us is this, that no matter what we go through, his said love triumphs over it, and there's nothing that can separate us from it. Isaiah 54, 8 says this, With loving kindness I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. For the mountains may be removed and the hills may shake, but my loving kindness will not be removed from you. No matter what we go through in our lives, no matter what we've experienced, no, how, no matter how great the trial, his love can prevail over it. And this loving kindness married with the truth of the gospel gives us a final implication. That through praise of this God, whose loving kindness is great, where you're united both here and across the nations. And I wanted to bring this up, because I don't know if you've seen the news lately, but there's a little bit of division happening in the world. Just a little bit. But every person is created by God, and every person is tainted by sin. And these are more fundamentals of Christianity, but they're enormous truths. The Bible's account of the human history is sweeping. At the beginning of Scripture, we're told that God creates and sustains all mankind. That from one man, God brought forth all the human race. And from then on, diversity and ethnic cultures were developed. And this is our basis for unity. We are all created by God. We're all made in His image. 
And we look at this beautiful world that God created. And I'm really excited for, for Pastor Zach and, and Anthony's here and, and Michael Cram, he's out there. They're coming to Africa with us in October. And God's going to show off his beauty. It is such a beautiful place. And we see that beauty all around us. But more beautiful than anything God created is mankind. Why? Because we're made in his image from every nation, every tribe, every political party, every opinion. We're all created by God. And I want you to notice that that what he mentions in this community in Revelation, it eliminates our divisions in the news you see today. And in my personal opinion... The divisions we see, the, the lack of unity we have, it's, it's not a result of the government not intervening enough. It's a result of the church not being united and rising up. Um, a couple weeks ago, I was sitting in a restaurant, and I was eating my lunch. I was in downtown Seattle, and I brought my lunch over to the wall that faced out into the city. And right on the other side of this glass, while I ate my lunch, was a man covered in filth. He had a sign. I didn't even, I didn't even care to look at what the sign said, but he was probably begging for food or just some attention. And I noticed as people walked by, it was a crowded street right downtown, they just kind of sidestepped around him, not giving him any attention. And I saw him, but I didn't care to do anything about it because I had 30 minutes to finish my lunch and I needed to get to my next patient. But I'd forgotten that this was a creation of God. We were we're brothers, we're created by the same God. And have we lost that view of man? Both in Sierra Leone, where we're far from it, but also when we're six inches from the person next to us. And I don't say that to condemn any of you. It's really um, humbling to even share it because I didn't feel any conviction about the story until I sat down to write this message. Denying the image of God in other people is anti-creation, but on the other hand, harmony with others, which is identified here in this psalm, And as communities come together in Revelation, this is procreation. It's fueled by the gospel and sustained by truth, unity, and love. For us, this means there's not one person not worthy of dignity and respect, and that every person is in need of a human heart. Back to Revelation, the place where the tribes are gathered together before the throne. We, we go from this, this view of man, this lack of unity, this need of the nations to the solution for it. The, the lion of Judah has conquered. He's overcome by the cross. And you think of a lion. and That's actually one of the most questions I get asked about Africa. How many lions do you see? Are you worried they're going to jump out? And, and there's, there's no lions in, in Sierra Leone unless they have a zoo. I'm not sure if they do. But, no. You think of a lion. They're majestic. They're mighty. They're ready to conquer. But in here... In this passage, he's called a lamb. And this is the very son of God, Jesus Christ, with these twin titles, lion and lamb. And it shows the very paradox of Christianity. And to borrow this phrase from a friend of mine, victory comes through what looks like defeat. True power comes through what looks like weakness. And evil is conquered through the sacrificial suffering of the son of God. And these images play an important role in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, the Israelites were told at the first Passover that the blood of another would cover their sin. And then, at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, John, he sees Jesus and he goes, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus is our perfect substitute, fully God and fully man. And we see in this heavenly scene all the nations worshiping. Why? Because Jesus has redeemed the blood of the Lamb. What a reason to praise And how can we be this visual aid for God's purposes in the world, for this unity, 
to demonstrate what Jesus has done for us. And it's, it's done through a simple word with so many implications. It's love. We demonstrate that this vision has grasped our hearts and that the message of the gospel is real to us by the love that we show. And isn't that what Jesus said? They'll know that you're my disciples by the love that you show. Paul describes love famously in 1 Corinthians 13. But I think this passage has really lost its significance to us because it's so popular. We know this passage. But it refers to all cultures and nations, all of our brothers. And it should serve as a code of conduct for us. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. This is a love that truly looks for the benefit of others. And for us here, it means that we notice and love those that we don't agree with or have little in common with. For ILF, this means that every bar of soap that's made, every child that learns the basics of mathematics, every seed that is planted, we see these as, and we celebrate these as an act of love, which ultimately points to Jesus and draws people into a saving grace and more glory to our Father. The psalmist concludes this chapter with this statement, Praise the Lord. And I think what he's doing here is he's told the nations, he's told all people to worship God. But I think this is an exclamation of praise himself. When he asks of others, he voluntarily gives himself. And may that be true for us. May we praise the Lord whatever situation we're in, whatever we're going through. Praise the Lord. Whatever our kids are going through, that's a a tough one. Praise the Lord. And I'm going to close with um, a personal story. This, This was the greatest demonstration of the power of worship that I've experienced in my life. Um, I had the opportunity to go to uh, Haiti in 2016 with a small team in response to Hurricane Matthew. And this was the largest storm to hit Haiti in over 50 years. And they're still reeling from 2010 when they had a massive earthquake that killed over 250,000 people. And then after that, a cholera epidemic, which killed thousands more. And so Mercy Ships, or YWAM Ships, in partnership with Justice Water, they decided they wanted to do something about it when they heard that there was a part of the southern region that hadn't had any aid yet. And so I was able to go on this trip, and when I'm talking with the, one of the directors at YWAM, he said, Britton, this is going to be a rough trip, but keep your eyes on Jesus. And that really became a theme for us on this trip as we were faced with difficulty after difficulty. Um, the plan was for... Uh, YWAM ships to meet us on the other side of the island about an hour from the distribution zone with enough food to last until these people could get assistance from UNICEF. And we were going to bring a thousand water filtration systems, which would last each, each filter lasted about 10 years, and a thousand SD Bible cards in their native language. And so quickly we learned that this was going to be a difficult trip and uh, the ship wasn't able to make it to the port because it had mechanical problems. So we had to go back up to Port-au-Prince, which is the capital city, and find and scavenge for enough food to support our mission. And we were able, by the grace of God, to find 27,500 pounds of rice, 8,000 pounds of beans, and 1,000 empty buckets, five-gallon buckets, that we needed for the water filtration system. And over the next couple of days, we had to hand drill into these buckets that we weren't able to get from the YWAM ship and wash out the fish oil in the heat of the Haiti sun. And no matter how tired or frustrated we got in this process, we just wanted a hand drill that we could just drill them through. It would have been so much easier. But no matter how frustrated or tired we got, we started every morning with praise, and we ended every day with praise. 
And it was by the provisions, provisions, whatever. It was by God's provision that that boat didn't arrive because the same day that it would have arrived in the port, the desperation of the people kind of overflowed and they raided the port. And they stole from the ships and from the trucks and, and this resulted in a couple children being shot by the police which caused this massive unrest. I've got to play this here. And these are just some pictures that we took along, along the way. Um, and one of the trucks that had been looted, it ended up right at our compound, right on the other side. And we, we watched these people looting, and we ended up pu- pushing our van up against the gate because we didn't want them to see what we had inside. And we covered some of the food as best we could. And while we did this, the women went upside, upstairs to hide, and they um, just worshipped Jesus and prayed and intervened. And I'm going to, for the sake of time, skip forward to the distribution. But we saw God's provision over and over again. And the common theme was, let's worship to refocus ourselves on Jesus. And so at the distribution site, we, we pulled up and we, we put ourselves in this massive church. And the roof is, is ripped off the church. And uh, we go out into this massive truck that we had all these supplies in. And we start distributing. And every time that we started to do this, it ended in violence and kind of this mass panic. And so we lock the truck and we go in the church and lock ourselves in and we're arguing about how, how we're going to distribute this food. How are we going to do this? How are we going to accomplish this mission without there being mass panic and violence? And while we were discussing or really arguing about this, trying to solve it in our own strength, one of, these girl, one of the girls on the team, she'd been relatively silent throughout the entire trip. She goes, we need to sing a worship song. And we rolled our eyes and went, all right, let's honor this girl. This is nice. And so we started to sing... Our God is an awesome God. And we sang it over and over and over again. And about the fourth or fifth time, I remember feeling the weight of this lift from me as we focused ourselves back on Jesus. Our attention needed to be on Jesus. And then maybe the sixth or seventh time that we sang through this song, this girl spoke up again and she goes, I know how we're supposed to distribute the food. And her idea was to open the door or bring all the stuff in from the truck, which was a task in and of itself, but open the door and let one person in at a time to distribute the thousands of um, items that we had. And this seemed like a terrible idea to me. It seemed like a really unsafe idea. But the leader of our team, who was a, a local Haitian, he wanted to honor that this was a vision from God to this girl, and so we tried it. And it worked. About six hours later, we were able to distribute all the food to the community there. And at the end of it, I just remember weeping because I'd never seen an act of God like this before. And several days later, we were able to go back to this distribution site because we wanted these people to know that this wasn't just a handout from people. This was the loving kindness of God. And we were able to pray with these people who were mourning the loss of their loved ones and the loss of their way of life. And we were able to worship with them in this community. I remember sitting in this circle. We were worshiping. And the whole community standing around us. And we played soccer with the kids. And we prayed for people. And we got to mourn with them for their losses. And I remember one of the last women I prayed with. She had hurt her leg pretty severely in the storm. And she was at this distribution site two days before. And she asked the translator that was with me. She goes, what were these people singing in the church? And I remember thinking, as he described the sovereignty of God, I remember thinking, this is, this is why we're here. The sovereignty of God over any situation, over any, anything that can happen, anything that takes place. There's sovereignty of God, and we're directed to that through worship. 
And so as we close, whatever the situation, whatever we're going through, whatever we come up against, let's worship. Let's worship Jesus. It doesn't suppress action. It, it organizes and pushes us to the right action. And so we're given great reason for praise. So let's, let's pray. God, I'm thankful for an opportunity to do something that you always ask me to do, but I don't truly enjoy. But God, I'm thankful that, that you are present and that you are worthy. God, I'm thankful that you've given us praise to direct our attention back to you when things are difficult, when, when challenges um, come up. And God, I'm thankful that you love us enough to give us your son, the one true God that we can worship. Father, may you be honored and glorified in Africa and Sierra Leone with what we're doing in Sierra Leone, with what you're doing in Sierra Leone. And would you bless the mission church as they partner with us? Would you bless the people there? May they know your name to be great and sovereign. We pray these things in your name.